Thank you guys so much. That is super uh, special, man. That just means a lot to me. For you guys taking your time to do that. I sure do miss all of you and wish you were here. Uh, but I'm glad that we can still be together in this way. That we can still uh, have service like this. And I'm thankful for all of you who have been able to tune in and if you know someone who is unable, who doesn't have internet or doesn't have the capability to do FaceTime or YouTube, we do have uh, DVDs that are being made to, uh, that we can send to your home uh, or we can drop off on your porch or whatever. But we want you to know that you, uh, we want you to, to be able to enjoy and be a part. Remember this week, we have a, a whole week of schedule. Um, as today is Palm Sunday, I'll be speaking today tomorrow. Uh, Dre will be speaking, and he'll be uh, sharing about the oil. And then uh, on Tuesday, uh, I'm trying to remember all, who, all the schedule without having it in front of me. Um, Tuesday, can you help me here? Who's speaking on Tuesday? Wednesday, I'm speaking. Um, let's see. Brian speaking. There you go. Brian speaking on Tuesday, and it's going to be a, a real special time. Each service will have a unique theme. Uh, on Tuesday, Brian will ask for you guys to have a candle available because uh, we'll have kind of a candlelight service even in our uh, own uh, houses uh, but as a sign of unity for all of us together. Wednesday, we'll be doing communion together. I'll be leading that service. Uh, Thursday, Pastor Tim will be speaking. Uh, Friday, once again, I will be speaking on Good Friday. Um, Josh, uh, Pastor Josh will be speaking on Saturday, and then once again, our big Easter service. We're actually going to do a sunrise service. Uh, it's just going to be me and a couple of folks. We're going to live stream that from the uh, from the front of the church at 7 o'clock in the morning if you want to join us for that sunrise service. But then we'll have our regular service at 10.30 next uh, Sunday on Easter Sunday. And then we'll culminate all of that uh, on Monday. And me and my wife Kim will be uh, uh, doing a, a together uh, Bible study to close out Holy Week or Easter Week. So we hope that uh, you'll take some time to, uh, to participate with us and enjoy that wonderful uh, service and communion time together. Let's jump into the Word today. You know, uh, today is Palm Sunday, and it's a, a, a time that we celebrate the triumphant entry of Christ Jesus into Jerusalem. And, and I'm reminded that that story in the, the Word of God, we find it in all four Gospels. I'm going to be focusing in on Luke chapter 19 uh, in, in that particular uh, account of the story. And it began early on a Sunday morning, and, and, and as we call Palm Sunday, and Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem, and he stops for a moment, and he asks his two disciples to go and, and uh, do an errand for him. And... Here in Luke chapter 19, if you're with me there, Luke chapter 19, verse uh, 29. Luke 19 and 29 says, When he approached Bethphage, or as the Hebrews uh, would say, Bethphage, and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, verse 30, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, there are uh, there. As you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying them? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Wow. So here we find these two disciples, uh, and, and they have been given a, a directive by Jesus, and it's kind of a unique directive. Can you imagine? I mean, they have to wonder, why are you telling us to go get a colt? I mean, we've been with you all these years, and we've never seen you ride anything. You've never ridden an animal. And, and so for this one moment, you have to think that they're probably a little bit you know, wondering what's going on here. I mean, they, if you think about it, he has walked hundreds of miles up and down what we now call the Holy Land, Jerusalem and, and Israel. But there's no mention of ever riding anything except he got into a boat to cross over the Sea of Galilee and even walked across that one time. But now he gives this unusual command to go into the village to get a colt that has never been ridden and to bring it to him. It, it must have been a strange moment for these disciples to experience that. He even tells them that the exact words to say if somebody was to come to you and they ask you, why are you in time? They says, the Lord hath need of it. You know, it, it, we wonder, was that prearranged? Did he already have did he already pass by and tell them the day before, hey, these guys are gonna come to get that? Or do we know? We don't really know. Obviously, Jesus knew that he was going to go into the city, and he knew how he wanted to enter that city, but but you know that decision for Jesus to enter the city had to be a tough decision because you knew he he knew what he was going to encounter and he knew what was going to happen. But then again, Jesus intentionally took a colt that had never been ridden. And he got on that colt. Rather than walking in as he had walked uh, numerous times into the city on this particular occasion, he got on that colt. And this had to be a difficult decision because riding the colt in the city was a public declaration that he was declaring himself as the king. Wow. A powerful statement. 500 years earlier in the book of Zechariah, the, they had proclaimed that fact when, when he wrote in Zechariah chapter 9 and 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having a salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. <laughs> you see, when, when, when you look at times, and I'm sure that you've probably read this and understand this, but when, when conquering kings would ride into a, a community as the conqueror, they would ride on a great horse. It's amazing to think that Jesus would ride again. Uh, it's prophesied that when he comes back, he'll be riding on a great white horse. As conquering king. But in times of peace, the king would ride a colt to symbolize that peace was prevailing. So Jesus here rides into Jerusalem upon a colt to declare his kingship, proclaiming peace to everybody. Even though they didn't grasp it, even though they didn't understand it, this was how he was riding in. You know, of course, as I mentioned a few moments ago, this was the, the beginning of Passover. This was the, the, the beginning of the festival of Passover, which would last for several days when Jews would uh, remember God's deliverance from, from uh, 
you know, from Egypt, when they were delivered out of Egypt from all of the pestilence that took place there, how they would they would cover uh, their doorposts. And I've noticed that some of you have even put something over your doorpost because of the pestilence that's going on right now. And so they celebrated this time of how God delivered them through this trial. And so this was probably the greatest gathering of, of Israel every season of every year right, right at this moment. So the city was filled to overflow. People were packing in houses. People were packed down the streets. They were everywhere. And obviously Jesus wasn't the only one coming to Jerusalem on the Passover. I think of other officials that would be coming into the Passover at this time. For example, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, had already entered Jerusalem to occupy the Antonian uh, fortress and, and the praetorium with a full complement of elite battle-hardened Roman soldiers ever ready and willing to suppress any attempt to, to rise up against Rome. There were other people who come in and, and, and were there that day, Herod, Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, the one who had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist, he had arrived with great pomp and circumstance, great pomp and ceremony, undoubtedly to occupy the place or the palace where his father, Herod the Great, had once been. Such power, such pageantry on this uh, particular day. And we see, and we're seeing the, how during this week so many things took place. Then, then here comes Jesus to fulfill the prophecy that we just read about in Zechariah chapter 9. Here he's coming in in a cult. He's coming in humble and gentle and declaring his kingship in such a manner. For the crowds lining the road that day, Jesus was riding the coat, uh, the, this colt into the city and was, was publicly de declaring that he is the promised king. You know, I wonder what the response would be. If Jesus was to come into our presence, if Jesus was to come into our congregation together, how would we respond? You know, for that day, you know, looking at the people of that day, would, would they recognize that his kingdom was not of this world? Would they recognize that his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom? Would they recognize him as a spiritual king, though, though he is king, but he's king of kings and lord of lords? I doubt it because... You know, to think that he taught them for three years. He shared with them, you know, story after story of how his ending would be on earth. And he declared to them these things. And yet they still didn't get it. They still didn't comprehend the lessons that he shared with them. Perhaps some of them would greet him with laughter. Maybe they would be amused by what Jesus was doing. After all, it was kind of ridiculous to think that here's this uh, carpenter who's now on a on a colt riding into the city and it's probably something humorous to some of them. Perhaps some of them would think he's a lunatic. He's living in a world of fantasy, imagining himself as king and they would laugh at him. Others would greet him with anger, but upset because but by what he was doing, they would interpret it as arrogance and blasphemy toward the word of God, towards God's law and God's plan. Matter of fact, some of the religious leaders even told the disciples to, to stop and, and even told uh, to tell the children to be quiet. And Jesus literally said, hey, out of the mouth of babes shall they perfect praise. Jesus said, this is God's plan. Of course, there were many 
especially those who had been following him that were there joyous. They were there uh, happy, welcoming him as an earthly king, coming to reestablish the throne of David over and overthrow the Roman Empire. They, that they were ready and eager to, to crown him king. They were ready and eager to take up swords and, and to fight. Among the crowds would see people there that, would, that Jesus had healed. How many know that over and over again Jesus walked around and everywhere he went he was doing good, the Bible says. And so he was healing people. There were people there who, who probably no doubt had been healed by Jesus. There are some there among the thousands that had been fed by Jesus uh, on the hill. Many more had seen the miracles that he had performed and listened to him as he spoke with authority. And so there were so many who had seen him and felt him and had experienced his touch and had experienced his love. And so they listened and their lives had been changed. And Jesus knew all this. He knew that just over the horizon was the cross looming like a monster ready to, ready to uh, crucify him, ready to consume him. But, but we see in Luke uh, chapter 9 and 51 tells us that in spite of all this, Jesus still resolutely went to Jerusalem. So we see Jesus here riding on this donkey. Down toward the gate of the city, crowds were growing. Crowds were gathering. There's festival in the air, festivity in the air. For, for it is a Passover. Pilgrims are gathering from far and near in the greatest of the Jewish holidays. But even before Jesus arrives, can you imagine the the atmosphere is charged because uh, the, the word that Lazarus had been raised from the dead had already begun to, to go out. And, and so here, before he even arrives, there's people probably chattering, have you heard the news? Have you, have you heard about it? Lazarus, he died. He was in the grave and he was in that grave so long that he, he had already begun to stink. And yet, here's Jesus, this guy comes and he says, Lazarus come forth and he's raised. And, and, and Lazarus came out of the grave and they unraveled him. And, and he's living, breathing, he's alive. And how the, only this could be possible by the Messiah. Can you imagine how that would go around our community if somebody had been raised from the dead right here? All of Blunt County would already know about it and they would be packing house, right? And so you can imagine that, that, that charge of, of word going out. So news had traveled from one person to another. And finally, Jesus was ready to enter the city. And great crowds had collected on both sides of the road. They were there. And, and, and literally, they had cut off palm branches. Some had thrown their own cloaks down. And others had cut off branches from the fields and had brought them to throw down right there on the street so that when he passed by, they would... That they walk across those handcuffed branches. Then they were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna to the king. Now we understand what Hosanna means. Hosanna literally means save us now. So that they understood they were under the oppression of Rome and, and they were declaring, if you're the king, save us now. Wow. What an atmosphere. What an excitement that prevailed throughout the city during that time. And then he, and then Jesus looked over as he wait, waiting uh, through the, all these folks and seeing the audience. 
You know, there had to be that it's, there had to be a mixture of expressions on people's face. I mean, not everybody was joyous. There were those who loved him. Perhaps Bartimaeus was there because just just before this experience took place, Bartimaeus was sitting on the side of the road blind. And even in his blindness, he was declaring that Jesus was the king because he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Powerful. And the Bible says that as once he was healed, Jesus said, go your way. But the Bible tells us that, that Bartimaeus followed Jesus. So you can imagine that, that Bartimaeus was right there along with Jesus as he was entering in. And you know he's happy. You know he's excited because his eyes are open. He can see. And, and now he's seeing all this crowd and all this circumstance. And he's able to say, Whoo, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. But not only was Bartimaeus there, but just before the entrance, we also see the story of uh, Zacchaeus. Who had climbed to the little tree, you know, to see Jesus. And here's Zacchaeus who has already made things right. He's already uh, paid his debt back to society. He's already uh, made his peace with God. And so here he is. And, and you can imagine the influence that he has. And he's there. And he's also rejoicing that Jesus is right there. Wow, what a powerful moment. There was others. Can you imagine the ten lepers who had been outcasts for so long? They've been, they've been uh, relegated to a camp away from everybody else wearing a bell around their neck. So that when they showed up and the bell was ringing, everybody was had their hand over their mouth kind of like right now. And their hands out saying, unclean, unclean. And, and so finally here they are with their uh, skin clean. And they can be around anybody they want to be around. They can throw the bell away. And so you know they were right there in the middle of all. Beautiful. I can imagine that Jairus was there and he brought his daughter. He's probably got his daughter sitting up on his shoulder saying, look, baby, that's the man right there. That's the man who, who, who you were dead and he came in and he spoke into your life and now you're alive. That's the man. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Lazarus, of course, and Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, they're all there. Their lives have reflected the love that, that he had shared with them. And they had forever been changed by his grace and by his mercy and by his love. But you know, there were not only those kind of faces there. There were also some sinister, sinister faces there. Faces with squinty eyes waiting for him to say the wrong word. Waiting for him to make one mistake so that they could just leap on him and throw him out or stone him. The Sadducees and Pharisees for sure were there. They were, they were supposed to be the keepers of the law. They were supposed to be the one who were teaching the law. And yet here this guy, here Jesus is. And, and he's got more popularity than they have ever gained. And, and so therefore, they're standing by jealously looking at this man, Jesus, walking down or riding down the street. Wow. The Romans were there. They were prepared, fearing that there would be a revolt, fearing that, they, that, that, that there would be an uprising of, of all the people. And so they were there ready to, to take down whatever, whatever rose up in the midst of that. But Jesus realized as he's listening to these hosannas that soon these sin, 
sinister voices would, would drown out the voices of love that those crying for him to be king, that they would be replaced by voices that would be later shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. Now Jesus is descending along the road from the Mount of Olives and across the brook toward the gate. The crowds have gathered so much around him. And I wonder how the apostles were reacting to all this. Can you imagine? I mean, I've always thought that Jesus was probably ecstatic because even though uh, he was going to portray, he was really wanting a he was really wanting an earthly king that would come and dominate the Romans and, and be that earthly king. I can imagine that when you look at Peter walking with his chest expanded, he's walking around and he's probably got one hand on the sword just in case something crazy happens. But, but just somehow in his mind, I'm probably sure he's thinking it was worth leasing, leaving the fish nets. It was worth leaving the boat because finally the time has come that we've been deserving that we have that we have waited on in this moment. Of course, I imagine there was possibly a Thomas there. And Thomas was a little skeptical about it all. He's thinking, well, this is awesome, you know, but uh, how's this going to play out? I'm not sure about all this. What's going to happen next? Maybe Andrew's thinking, you know, Lord, I brought to you one-on-one -on -one people along the way. I've, I brought to you small groups, but man, I'm overwhelmed by the crowd that's in this place right now. Wow. What about James and John? Do you think they were there? They were thinking, man, Jesus is about to be crowned king and we're going to sit on his right and left. Man, this is going to be awesome. The disciples were, I'm sure, with all kinds of Anxious thoughts about what was taking place. But you know, suddenly the procession stopped. Suddenly there was a traffic jam. It's kind of like, you know, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden it's in rush hour traffic. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you come up on a, a load of traffic and you're not able to get by. And you're wondering, you know, people these days would be blowing their horns. You know, they'd be, you know, uh, yelling out the window, move on. And yet here the, the traffic, the parade stops and, and people I'm sure are wondering what's going on up there? What's happening? What's taking place? What's the holdup? But the people who were closest to Jesus could see and, and they realized that he, was, he had stopped the parade. And then they saw his body as it began to shake and, 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 and some could say, well, maybe he's laughing because, you know, sometimes when we laugh or we get to shaking a little bit. I mean, you would think maybe he's laughing because of all of the joy that's going on around him. But, but those who were closest to him could see that it wasn't laughter that was coming from Jesus at that moment. But he was weeping. He was crying. The scripture tells us that, that Jesus acted emotionally on many occasions when he saw those who were hungry. Guess what he did? He, he had compassion on them and he fed them. When he saw the poor, he... He had compassion on them. When he saw people in sin, he had compassion on them. When he saw people sick, he had compassion on them. And, and so the scripture tells us that he was compassionate. But, on, but only on two different times does it ever talk about Jesus weeping. And one of those times was when, when Mary and Martha were, were there and they were weeping because Lazarus had, had, had died. And so Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept with them. So why was he crying now? 
What was he crying about? Was it when he looked across Jerusalem and he really saw the reality of what was taking place? He saw the mixture of faces. He saw the mass, uh, mass of humanity crowding there and he realized that there was something that they didn't get. There was something that they, that they didn't understand. There was an emptiness in their lives. They had not heard the message of peace. They had not understood the purpose of his coming. You know, when you read chapter 19, verse 41, it says that when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. If you go down and, and, and you can see in verse 44, it says, and they will level you to the ground. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read 42 and follow. It says, saying, if, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when the, your enemies will throw you, will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and, and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and, and, and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Wow. We understand that what he was talking about would actually take place 40 years later when Rome would come in and besiege Israel and they would build ramparts up and, and they would destroy the city. They had eyes to see but didn't see. They had ears to hear but they could not hear. They missed the whole point of the message that God was trying to give them. The fact that they waved palm branches really showed that they didn't understand because that is exactly what their grandparents did during the rebellion of the Maccabees. Because in that rebellion, they overthrew Syria, the Assyrian oppressors, and reestablished worship in the temple. And so these people, what they thought was, here we go again. We're ready to take up our, our sword. We're ready to take up our shoes. We're ready to fight for our freedom. But they missed the point that Jesus didn't come for that purpose. Jesus said, I did not come for that purpose. I came to show you a more excellent way. I came to show you the way of love. He said to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in Matthew chapter 5 and 44. He says in Matthew chapter 5, 39 through 41, it says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you, give them your tunic and let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go with them one mile, go with them another mile. The people, I'm sure, heard these phrases and were, they were probably thinking, well, that's a beautiful thought, but not for the Romans. Not for these wicked people who have persecuted us, who have abused us, who have, who have taken from us. It can't be for them. But Jesus told them, he said, love even your enemies. We can't love wrong, Lord. But don't you see, that's exactly what he was saying. Love even Rome, because Rome with, with her mighty army has seen the powerful sword, but Rome has not experienced the love of Jesus. They've not experienced that kind of warfare of love. Show them love. The nation of Israel had the opportunity to show Rome something new, something different. 
but because they didn't understand Jesus, because they completely misunderstood his mission of, of weeping over, over Israel. He, he, he wept over them because they didn't grasp his truth. These were God's people. We'll close, brother, if you want to come. These were God's people. I mean, this was God's people who he loved, who he led out of, the, out of the wilderness, who led out of Egypt into the wilderness, and out of the wilderness into the promised land. He had been with them. He had protected them. He had guarded them. He had loved them. He had compassionately cared for them. And even now, he's sending his son. Transform our lives. What a contrast. I mean, here he is, he's sitting on a beast of burden, he's riding in, and he, and he sees the temple silhouetted across the across the, the city. But beyond that, in the years that would immediately what he sees is beyond that, immediately he sees Titus. And the Roman army coming in, and he sees them besieging. He sees how blood is shed and is pouring through the city. He sees how children are killed and families are destroyed. And he sees the brokenness of Israel and the surrender. This is, this is his foresight. He sees this as he's going through. They don't understand. If they would accept me for who I am, if they would understand my purpose, they would not have to walk through the failure of the upcoming destruction of Israel. But because they were blind, because they could not see, because they didn't understand, they would face these tremendous trials. All this because they didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. How different their lives would have been if they would have said, this is the Messiah. And he has a more excellent way. How different some of our lives would be if we would recognize the Messiah that wants to transform us. That wants to renew us. That wants to give us a more excellent way. Both Matthew and Luke tell they tell us that, that sometime earlier Jesus looked upon the city and he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather you like children to gather as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Today, just like the city of Jerusalem, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, the Lord Jesus is right there where you are. He's right there sitting in the room with you. He's right there. And I wonder what he finds when he looks into our face. Does he see people concerned? Does he see people who are so worried about the virus? Or so worried about taxes? Or so worried about how we're going to pay the bills? Or so worried about other things? Does he see people that are running from here to there or doing something on their own to make a way? Or does he find somebody who's truly focused on him for the eternal understanding that Jesus is the Lord and he is the only way? 
That Jesus is life and he's the only life. Jesus is truth and he's the only truth. Does he see people who recognize him as the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God? So when he turns and he looks into your face, what does he see? Will he weep because we don't get it? Or will he smile and rejoice? Because just as he's faithful, he sees somebody faithful. Will he be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus started that journey that day. I'm so thankful that he gives us the ability to see the story and to trust in him. And I pray this morning, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you have doubt in your heart, if you wonder, if you're struggling with the trust of the Lord, would you find a place where you are right now? Would you make that seat an altar? Would you be willing to get on your knees this morning and cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Jesus, I long for you. Can we pray that right now? Maybe your heads are bowed. Or maybe you are on your knees just like I am right now. Maybe you recline in your couch, I don't know. But let's pray together. Let's believe this. Father, thank you that Lord, even from the very foundations of the world you made a plan for a fallen humanity. Even from the very foundations of the world you knew that we would fail and make mistakes. And Lord, it didn't surprise you because from that time, even today, even till today, God, you made a way, but there was no way. Lord, you gave us the gift of your only begotten Son that on the cross of this week that we celebrate, Lord, our sins have been forgiven. And all you say is, whosoever believes on me will not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, I pray that our belief is not just a word service. So many have have given lip service to you, but they've not followed through with, with actions because the Bible says faith without works is dead. I, it's, it's more than just words from my lips, God. It is an action that I take. And Lord, with my lips, I choose to praise you. With my lips, I choose to lift up your name. With my lips, I say, God, I am yours and you are mine. And Lord, I surrender all to you. Everything I am. God, I surrender to you, Jesus, because I need you. I need your love. I need your anointing. I need your strength. I need your peace. I need you, Lord, to step into our home, into our situation, to our family, God. Lord, bring hope and life and salvation to each one of us. God, we love you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.